Some 14 years ago, as my journey took a more public turn, and I began teaching and, and uh, exhorting the Word of God, I remember being faced with a question that I'm sure that every pastor is faced with, how do you know what to preach? And uh, going back to and realizing how the exposition of Scripture had laid into my life a foundation of just lo a love for the Word of God and a trust for it, I resolved to do the same. And I remember vividly telling God, you know, Lord, I'm going to, I'll, I'll methodically teach your scriptures chapter by chapter, verse by verse, if you take care of the job of timing and circumstances so that what I teach has meaning, that it's practical to life, and that it's life-changing. Well, this being Valentine's weekend, the timing couldn't be better for the text that we're about to, with, we're about to present this morning. And I'm happy to announce that God is still doing his part. He's still faithful. You know, love is such an amazing thing. There's nothing on earth that quite compares to it. No force, no feeling, no emotion, no sentiment. Nothing evokes a more powerful sensation than love. It mystifies us, it hypnotizes us, and it provokes some of the most dramatic reactions within us. Some are foolish, others are comical, a few are even heroic. Love moves us, it controls us, and sometimes it leaves us in ecstasy, and other times it leaves us with crushing pain. But when our love is wounded, we tend to withdraw it from others, and we build this cold, impenetrable shell to minimize our pain. It was Alfred Lord Tennyson who said, it is better to love and to at, it is better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. But what Tennyson has never told us is what to do with love that is never expressed. The tragedy of a dad who, who can't tell his son that he, he loves him. Our husband who can't tell his wife. A daughter who can't tell her mom. Or a church that is cold and formal. And love is never expressed. The tragedy of it. Today there are so many who are crippled with fear and loneliness and heartbreak. And stricken with that inability of expressing love. You know when Apostle Paul said love, uh, he, love was the greatest... He said, and now abideth faith, hope, and love. And he didn't say, and Bible study is the greatest. Or a nice big church house is the greatest. No, he said love. Love is the greatest. But for love to be real love, it must be expressed, it must be shown, and it must be demonstrated. And it must be received and experienced. 
Welcome to this part of the service, the exhortation and the teaching part of our service. And I want to greet all of you in Christ's name. And, and um, wow, this morning, uh, you know, it would be easy for me just to stop here. And we just had a wonderful service. And uh, thank you. What makes this a wonderful service is when hearts meet. We meet God. Your heart meets my heart. And uh, my hat's off to Marilyn. Um, my wife... Uh, Works one day a week for, for Merrill, and uh, so after work, we tend to get off pretty early because we start early. So I stop in, and, and uh, Merrill and I get to chit-chat, and, and uh, I count Merrill as just a real friend and, and someone who's challenged me as much as I've challenged her. And I also want to, uh, my hat's off to the youth. You guys did just a, such a wonderful job last night, the decor and the service. The service, our service was so fast, I think I almost had the couples at our table convinced that the pastors get preferential treatment. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys did fantastic. And, and uh, my hat's off to uh, Todd Newswander. I just thought he had a really, just a good, solid message. Uh, so God be praised for that. Well, on a more serious note, how important for all of us to be challenged and how we love. It's easy for us to love someone that, that we can relate to, someone who loves us back, uh, to give and to, to demonstrate, you know, when it comes back to us. But how much we all need to be challenged to demonstrate love without the expectation part of it. In fact, it was Jesus who said in Matthew 5, he said, if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? In other words, what's so great about loving someone who loves you back? Why, he says, even the publicans can do that. Jesus was saying even lost people can love when they know something's coming back. And if you salute your brethren only, if you, if you only greet those who are, greet you, why, do not even the publicans do the same? There's nothing great about that. But notice what he says. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. He's not talking about perfection without, without error. He's talking about maturity. He's talking about loving when nothing comes back. He's talking about loving and rejection coming back. He's talking about giving when that person never gives back. That's why God did it for you and me sometimes. We, our love is to have a maturity to it. Now, for, the, for us to be able to do that does not come natural. There's a process to it. It begins with consecration, putting that little reserve for God sign into our heart. Uh, and it's a daily thing, reminding yourself, you know what? This place is reserved for you, Lord. There's a second part. There's transformation. And God begins the part not being where we're not put into this world's mold. But we're being transformed. There's a different thought process going on. There's, our values are different. Um, our, we have a different worldview. We're not 
put into the world's mold of following fame, fortune, power, and pleasure. And then there's that healthy part of evaluation. Considering how we're loved by God and yet walking humbly before God. Not thinking higher uh, than we ought to. In fact, uh, it's what uh, verse 3 is talking about. For I say, though the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Being mature. One man put it this way, a good sense of emotional well-being starts with a good self-concept. If our self-concept is adequate, we feel comfortable with ourselves and we have an abiding peace of mind. When problems come, we put ourselves to the task of solving them. We may momentarily become upset, anxious, fretful, guilty, and hostile, as anyone might, but with a balanced self-concept, we have the inner resources of recovery, which return us to a state of peaceful, peaceful equilibrium. The person who has this good self-concept can occupy his mind with whatever is happening. He is not divided between trying to cope with his own anxieties and coping with what is happening. He functions from an inner island of confidence. I like that. That's what verse 3 is talking about. Having, a, having done that self-evaluation of who you are in Christ, valuable, and being confident of the God that you believe in. He's given us a place in this body. None of us have all the gifts, and none of us are irreplaceable, and yet none of us are worthless or invaluable. We all are gifted with something to contribute to this body. Now, I love Paul. Instead of a lengthy exposition, he simply shows us how love works. When real love is at work in the body, this is how it looks. It's kind of like opening a photo album and pulling out a few snapshots. First of all, love is genuine. He says in, in verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. That's a Greek word, hypocritas. And it carries the idea of back in the, those days of a of somebody pulling out a mask and playing a part in a play behind the mask. It's assuming a part. So what Paul is saying, make sure your love has no hypocrisy, no deceit. There's no acting going on. There's no mask. I love how Moffat puts it. He says, let your love be a real thing like that. Love doesn't smile when it's face-to-face -face and then make a cutting remark behind its back, someone's back. It's genuine. Front, back, whichever way it is, it's real. Secondly, real love is discriminating and discerning. And this is something we all need to be reminded of. Um, in our world today, and especially in this country, there's a big movement called tolerance. Uh, and, and everything now is being accepted in the name of tolerance. It's 
kind of like the bumper sticker that says honk if you believe in anything. And the pressure behind this movement is you tolerate anything, irregardless what it is. And then there's a charge, you're not supposed to be judging people. And even the non-Christians can, can quote the verse, judge not lest you be judged. I'm sorry, that's not what it's saying. It's not saying cut off your head and forget about thinking. And the moment that you stand up and say, this is wrong, you're considered intolerant. Well, let me set the record straight this morning. We are called to discriminate. We are to, uh, look what it says, abhor which is evil and cleave to that which is good. The word abhor means to detest utterly and to separate from. And we are to be glued, cleave or to be glued to that which is good. How do you do that without making moral a moral judgment? We are called to discriminate between right and wrong, righteousness and evil, light and darkness. We are called to discriminate. That's real love. Real love does not call sin good. And today in our world, there's, there's, there's a, it's rapidly changing from calling Evil good and good evil. It's going the opposite direction. Real love does not accept sin. It doesn't matter how many courts accept it. It doesn't matter how many states accept it. It doesn't matter if our entire country accepts it. It's still sin. If God calls it sin, real love detests it and separates itself from it. You know why? Because sin destroys people's lives. You see, our world really doesn't love people. You know why? It doesn't care if you destroy your life. It doesn't care if, if your family is destroyed. It doesn't care if the church is destroyed. But you know what? Real love does. Love the sinner but hate the sin refuse to accept it steadfastly detest sin Charles Ryrie described a river that he grew up with as a youth and when this river flowed within its banks it was, it was a very peaceful river and it supplied the water for a lot of cattle but when during those times of heavy rains, if that river left its banks, it quickly became a very destructive force. Love is just the same way. When love flows between the banks of truth and discernment, it's a very peaceful and it's a powerful force for good. But when it leaves those banks, it quickly becomes a destructive force. And today we're seeing that. We're seeing love leaving the banks of truth and discernment. And it's now becoming a very destructive thing. Verse 10. 
Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love in honor of preferring one another. Real love is committed. When Paul thinks of the expressions of love, he turns to some family terms that he knows in the Greek. Storge and phileo delphi, or what we call Philadelphia. Two kinds of love. Those are family terms, by the way. They have to do with a family. When you have a family, a healthy family, there is both commitment and warmth. Paul is saying that kind of, that kind of commitment and warmth that is in a family unit should be brought into the family of God. Moffat says, put affection into your love for the brethren. And I like those words. It helps us understand that in the area of relationships, there is always room to grow. Kind words, words of encouragement, prayer, loving embraces, instruction, wise counsel, and just sometimes just, just a willingness to listen. It's how we show love. Don't just tell somebody you love them. Show them. Second, uh, fourth, real love is unselfish. In honor, preferring one another. It's the idea of valuing someone and giving them a place of respect rather than taking it yourself. William Barclay writes, more than half the trouble that arises in the church concerns, rights, privileges, and places, and prestige. Someone has not been given his or her place. Someone has not been thanked. Someone has been neglected. Someone has given a more prominent place in the platform than someone else, and there is trouble. He continues, one of the marks of, true Christian, of a true Christian individual has always been humility. One of the humblest men is a scholar principal, Carnes. An incident took place in which, he sh which showed the character of Carnes. He was a member of a platform party at a great gathering. And as Carnes appeared from the side, there was a tremendous burst of applause. Carnes stood back and let the man next to him pass and began to applaud himself. He never dreamed that the applause was for him. He assumed it was for the other man. Isn't that wonderful? How unlike that is for us. We, we go for the applause. So different. Well, being this is Valentine's weekend, guys, I'm going to do some guy talk, and you gals get to listen in. Throughout the years, I have listened to one message after another on how the gals or the sisters are to submit. I've heard it at weddings, weekend meetings, even regular Sundays. Submit, submit, submit. But you know, guys, it would seem to me that we would be much further ahead if we would work on the honoring part for ourselves. You know why? You know, because unless some gal has really been damaged and hurt bad, 
I have yet to see a gal who is really loved, valued, respected, and honored, who wouldn't gladly submit to any man's needs. You see, when I see a gal that's in rebellion, I have to wonder what is deficient. What haven't the men in her life given her? That's what I think about. Verse 11. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Real love is, is not lazy, but it's passionate. One of the most magnetic qualities that you can have as a Christian is enthusiasm. Now, as I studied this, I, I couldn't but help think of our past Wednesday evening meeting as Jonathan exhorted us to be passionate and to tell others of what the Lord is doing in our lives. It was Charles Spurgeon who was asked on an occasion by a young man, how do I communicate like you do? And Spurgeon replied, it's very simple. You pour some kerosene over your body, you light a match, and people will come to watch you burn. <laughs> you know, we need to be passionate about it. Have you, have you ever went to a, a couple who's just returned from a honeymoon and uh, asked them, say, hey, how was your, how was your honeymoon? How, did you guys have a great time? And they said, yeah. Was it exciting? Yes. Didn't, just, didn't time just stand still? Wouldn't you have longed to stay longer? No, we were wanting to come back. You ever met a couple like that? No, you haven't. But how about your, your witness for Christ? You, you really need to meet Jesus. <laughs> he's, he's really given me a lot of joy. <laughs> it's the happiest happiest time of my life you guys see that we need to be passionate about the Lord what the Lord's doing in our life um, thrilled and boiling over it, 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 I, you know, and I know it's not realistic to think that we need to be like this 100% of the time we have, we have our ups and downs in life but start reflecting what the amazing things God has done in your life and, and consider the positive things. And uh, your passion level will rise. Verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Real love is hopeful. It doesn't write off people. It, it looks for the good in every situation. You know, how much we need this church to be filled with people who look at life like a glass half full. Um, you know, anyone can, uh, can condemn. You know, you don't need to be saved to be able to condemn someone. But, it, you know, it takes a different kind of spirit to love people who are unlovely. And, uh, not, and not give up on them. You know, you know, one of the reasons I'm standing here today, because at some very crucial parts in my life, 
Somebody believed in me. Somebody encouraged me. Somebody said, you know what? Don't give up. My question is, who are you believing in? Love is consistent. It weathers hard times. It's, it's patient in tribulation. It doesn't give up when there's failure. It hangs in there. It has a long fuse. It has some staying power. It doesn't leave. You build a wall, it climbs over. You dig a ditch, it builds a bridge. Years ago, we had a German Shepherd. And, uh, you know, of all the dogs that we've had through the years, I'm convinced this dog was probably had the lowest IQ. Um, it seemed when it came to tires, she lost all good dog sense as she tried to bite the tires. And we would literally put muzzles on her. And this is no reflection on German Shepherds. I, I think most German Shepherds are quite intelligent, but it didn't happen that on, that on her. But she would try to bite the tires. And literally, we went through so many muzzles because they'd get run over by the tire. Yeah, seriously. I mean, it didn't matter, truck tires, car tires. Lawnmower tires, you name it. And you know, you could spank her, and it wouldn't be long till she would be back, and you'd feel a thump, thump, thump of her tail. Didn't matter whether you were in a bad mood or good mood, her love was incredibly consistent. Consistent. How about your love for some others? How consistent is your love? Real love keeps on praying. You see, consistency in love leads to consistency in prayer. You ever felt like giving up on somebody, but you just couldn't? You know why you couldn't? Because you were probably praying for them. You see, prayer softens us as well. And uh, helps us just to be real. When you pray for somebody, you realize if it were not for the grace of God, you'd be the one going through the trial but the, instead of the person you're praying for. It just helps you be real. Verse 13. Distributing to the necessity of the saints given to hospitality. Real love is generous. You know, when we uh, automatically, when we think of generosity, we think of, of money. But you know, it goes way beyond that. Being a generous person. It means giving your time. Sometimes it just means laughing with someone. Sometimes it's listening to someone. Sometimes it's just being an encouragement. Uh, I've, heard of it, I've even heard of a couple who, who took it up on themselves, committed to themselves to sending several jars of peanut butter a month to a couple out on a missionary outreach. They knew that both of these individuals loved peanut butter. 
So they w- committed themselves to making sure that each month they got some peanut butter. And, you know, every time that those that box of peanut butter came, that, that couple knew they were loved. Something as simple as that. Don't make a mistake of thinking that this applies just to people who are on missionary trips or something like that. No, it applies even to here. You know, we ought to do an even better job to those who are right here of being, being generous with each, with each other. You know, today, the liberals in our society have stolen our message, have stolen our responsibility. You know what the, you know what the, the, the theme of the liberals today? Give us your poor. Give us your hungry. We'll take care of them. And they've been very successful. You know why? Because the church in a large part has shirked their responsibility. We need to do a good job of taking care of those in our midst. The best cure I know for selfishness is giving. You, f- you feel a pang of selfishness just coming on? Give more. It works. It, it just somehow it takes care of it. Keep giving. The last, real love is hospitable. And hospitality has to do with entertaining strangers. I mean, Scripture talks about even there are even moments we, we entertain angels. You see, love doesn't just supply the needs of, we don't just supply the people that are here. We supply visitors and strangers. You know why hospitality is so important? It keeps us from being prejudiced. They're not like us. It's a nice way of saying, you know, if we don't love them, maybe they just won't come back. It's just not what comes out of someone who has been consecrated, transformed, and has done a healthy evaluation of themselves. Well, what keeps us from loving the way God wants us to love? The first is just fear. Afraid of being turned off or rejected. Hey, we've tried that once before and it didn't work. Um, afraid of being hurt again. There's a lot of reasons, a lot of different reasons of fear that we just step back and we, we don't express it. Second is passivity. We just tend to be passive about things. Um, we like to be told what to do. You know, if Glenn came forward and said, um, you went to any of you guys and said, hey, Irma has, Irma's car has a flat tire. Would you, would you help in, in uh, taking care of it? There's a lot of you guys that wouldn't do that. But how often do you take the initiative of just doing it yourself? Looking for opportunities. 
as most of you know, this, this past year we've had a lot of snow. And uh, one of those frigid Monday mornings, I mean, there, we have a, a, in our neighborhood, there was a couple, and, and it seemed like, especially the gal, I'm not sure why, she seemed to just be a little on the frosty. She seemed, probably more me, as it was my, I don't know, it was my idea, but she just seemed not to be very friendly with me. So on one of those very frigid mor- Monday mornings, I took my skid loader, and I spent the better part of an hour plowing their driveway and, and the space in between their house and barn. In fact, she even came out and said, what's up? And I said, hey, just didn't have nothing to do and wanted to be a, wanted to be a good neighbor. And that was that. And I didn't do it once. I did it twice. And even though her husband had access to another neighbor's skid loader, I just did it. Didn't, I wasn't asked. You know, the next time that she, they have a freezer at our place, and the next time she came down, she was friendly. She talked with me. I told my wife, if I'd have known, that's what it would take. I'd have done a long time ago. (laughs) But do you see how much better that was if I'd have told them, you know, hey, guys, I really care about you, but there's just no way I'm ever going to do anything for you guys. You see, sometimes it's so much better Instead of saying, I mean, it's, it's so important we ex- use those words, I love you, I care about you. Those are words we should be expressing, but there are those occasions when it's much better just to show it than to say it. Third reason we fail to express love is preoccupation. Just all busy. I, uh, that song uh, last night, um, I'm just worn out. You know, uh, we're busy with work, schedules, our problems, pleasures, our pains, and even doing the good things, church life. We're just worn out. But you know, sometimes the cost of not being involved is really high. Kitty Genovese, if she could come back from the dead, she would be able to tell you. Kitty was assaulted. On the way home from work, she was assaulted, stabbed for some 30 minutes. Not one person, not two people, but 38 people watched and never got involved. They didn't even call the police. You see, guys, it's important we get involved. And sometimes we miss the most rewarding moments of our lives because we just don't express love, because we're just busy, busy. So we need to face our fears, acknowledge our passivity, and repent from our preoccupation. We need to slow down and take in some of those good moments. We express the love. It was C.S. Lewis who wrote, To love it all is to be vulnerable, to love anything, and your, your heart will certainly be Wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure to keep it intact, 
You must give it to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around your hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all entanglements. Lock it safe in the casket, in the coffin of your, your selfishness. But in that casket, it, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and the perturbations of love is hell. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for reminding us of how much we are to be the vessels of love. And Lord, this morning, the greater part of this message was for me. Lord, knowing how I need to grow in love and, and knowing how I, I need to, to open my arms wider and to express it and to, to show it. Lord, I pray that this would be on the heart of each of us this, this coming week and as we continue to grow in you. It's just expressing love, being that cracked vessel that, that leaks your love to others, to love the unlovely and to, to those of society that are rejected and to give them the message of salvation, Lord. May you lay it on our heart. I thank you for doing this. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.